Holy Spirit, we just thank you that you're here. We thank you that you're moving. We thank you that we can just cry out to you. We can, we can look to you and, and you will meet us where we're at. And so, God, I just pray that you'll, you'll meet us this morning. You'll speak to us this morning. Whatever it is that, that you want to say, not what I want to say, but what you want to say will be spoken out this morning. And you'll, you'll speak directly into our spirits this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. Good. So we're in a series called The Good Work. This is part three of four. We're going to wrap up next week, God willing. But I hope so far you've been encouraged and empowered and inspired to to really seek within yourselves what it is that that God's put on your heart and your spirit to, to do for him. That divine burden we've been referring to it as, that he's put deep within you to... Um, to encourage you to, to get out there and to do something in the name of God. When, when you're kind of moved to a point of, I can't take this anymore, something needs to be done about whatever it is. And, you know, that might be for you as an individual. It might be for, for you to serve within this house. But I just pray that you're encouraged to, to meet with God and to, to go through a process of prayer and seeking his face and, and understanding what it is that he's put within your life, that you can step out in faith and to begin to do the good work and last week we got real practical we started to talk about you know when you're clear and you know what it is that that God's put on your heart the processes that you can go through to to get that in place and to start the ball rolling and that's good you know you begin to to make a plan and to get strategic about things so you're not running around like headless chicken with no real aim but but actually you've got a purpose and you've got a a clear understanding about what God wants to do through you. So I encourage you, if you, if you missed it and you want to catch up, it's online. Jump on the podcast on your podcast app or on our website, hopechurchlitham.com, and you can, you can check back onto those. But, you know, I believe that God will provide you and God will equip you with whatever it is that you need to get the job done that he has put on your heart. You see, he calls us to do something, but he doesn't call us without equipping us. If he calls you to do something, he'll equip you to get the job done. And so this morning, what we want to look at, and we teased it a little bit last week, we're going to look at at what happens and the reality of of what happens when we begin to step out in faith, when we begin to step out and do the work that God has called us to do. And so this morning, I've titled the message, Standing Strong in the Face of Opposition. You see, anytime God leads you to do something meaningful, when God puts something within your spirit and he says, this is what I'm calling you to do in my name, to make a difference, to to be generous to someone, to meet someone's needs, to to do something that is going to last even beyond your lifetime. When you step out in faith, unfortunately, the reality of that situation is that you should expect opposition. We need to expect opposition. We need to be prepared for the fact that as we step out in faith, as we begin to walk in line with what God's called us to do, we're going to count on obstacles coming our way. It's true, isn't it? It's the reality of what we face because because spiritual warfare is is the reality of what we're living in. 
when, when God calls you to do something and he puts something on your heart and you begin to step out in faith and you begin to do the thing that he's calling you to do, obstacles and challenges and all kinds of things are going to come against you to try and stop you from achieving your purpose, to try and stop you in your path so that you can't do what God's calling you to do. And we see it throughout scripture, don't we? You know, Moses had Pharaoh. He was his enemy. That was who he was facing. David had Goliath. Batman had the Joker. You're awake this morning. Come on. And then you look through to the New Testament and, and the life of Jesus. And again, we see it throughout his life, across the whole of his life. He had Herod and, and the Pharisees and the Sadducees and Judas and the devil and demons. And the list of his haters just goes on and on and on. And he faced all of this opposition as he tried to do the work that he was put on this earth to do. And so in this series, we've been looking at Nehemiah. Just an ordinary guy who, who was living his life and he felt a burden on his heart to step out and do something. And he was no different to all of the others. He had opposition as well. He had Sambalat and, and Tobiah and others who tried to oppose his work and tried to stop him from doing what it was that God had called, us, called him sorry, to do. You know, if you're joining us partway through this series, let me just give you a really quick recap. We're looking at Nehemiah. He's just this ordinary guy. He's a servant to the king. He's actually the cupbearer. So he's in close proximity to the king, but he's, he's just an ordinary guy and he's going about doing his life and, and he hears word that his people, his city has been destroyed and, and they're trying to, to rebuild. They're trying to rebuild the walls and, and they're, they're really struggling. They've hit this kind of brick wall, if you will, and, and they're not able to get the job done. And, and he hears about this kind of devastation of his, his people, of his hometown, even though it's a thousand miles away from where he is in the palace serving the king. And, and instead of just going, oh, that's, that's really sad for them and, and carrying on with, with his day-to-day -day life, his heart breaks He's kind of stopped in his tracks and, and actually he lets, it, he lets it kind of sink into his spirit, into his soul. And, and he gets to a place where he just, he just breaks down in tears and, and he can't take it anymore because he knows that something needs to be done. He knows that someone needs to go and, and help them in their, in their process of rebuilding the walls. And so he thinks, well, well maybe it's me. And so he spends some time seeking God and, and asking God, is, is this what I'm supposed to be doing? And, and he feels strongly, yeah, it is. It, it, this is for you to do. And so he approaches the king and he, he asks permission. You know, can I take a sabbatical from my job? Can I leave the palace and go and help my people to rebuild the wall and rebuild their livelihoods? And, you know, it's a fascinating story of this spiritual journey that we see of this just an ordinary guy and, and his heart for leadership to go and help these people, to step out in faith and, and to do what, what God had called him to do, believing that actually as he stepped out in faith, God could use him to do something significant. And so you can read the rest of that in, in the book of Nehemiah or check back online or whatever it is you want to do. But you see, he goes and he seeks permission from the king to go and do this work. He says, you know, this is something that's on my heart. I feel like God's calling me to do this thing, to go and help my people. Is it, is it okay if I just take some time out 
and go and help my people. And he gets favor from the king. The king grants him permission to leave. He just says, well, give me a time frame. That's all he says. He just says, let me know when you're going to be back so I know how long I need to film. He's, he's just practical, isn't it? It's like, let me know how long you're going to be away. Okay, that's great. You've got permission to go. So the king grants him permission, but not only that, he, he gives him protection and he also gives him provision to get the job done. So Nehemiah sets out and he begins to, to rebuild the wall and, and this is where we're picking up the story this morning and at various points along the wall, there's, there's gates, so there's wall, and then there's a gate, and then there's wall, and then there's a gate. And, and he pulls together all these different people and different families and this community together, and he says, we're going to rebuild this wall. He tries to encourage them and empower them and, and just cheer them along a bit and say, do you know what? We can do this because our God is with us. Look at the favor that we've already had from God to get us to this point. Let's keep going. And so he, he positions people around the walls, and it says that there's a whole bunch of different gates, and it names them in the scripture. There's the sheep gate, the fish gate, the valley gate, the horse gate, the water gate, the dung gate. Okay, I think I'd rather live by the valley gate than the dung gate, but that's just me. But it's incredible that he just, he gathers together these people, just ordinary guys like him, and he gathers them around him, and he just begins to encourage them. And he begins to say that we can do this together. He's, he's inspiring them to get the job done. And the interesting thing is that, that the guys that he pulled together, they're just ordinary guys like him. They're not masonries. They're not skilled at building walls. They're just, you know, a whole bunch of different, uh, different things. They're goldsmiths and merchants and, and perfume makers. How you inspire a perfume maker to build a wall well is beyond me, but he manages to do it. He gathers these people with very little skill in what needs to be done, and he gathers them together and says, we're going to do this job because God has told us we're going to do this job. So let's get together, let's dig deep, and let's get it done. And they start to make progress. They start to make progress. They start to see the wall going up, and then they begin to think within their spirits, maybe, just maybe we can get this job done. Because way back when they started this process and they, they set out from, from uh, captivity to, with this idea of we're going to rebuild the wall and they, they kind of got there, but, but nothing happened. And they couldn't find the motivation and they couldn't find the, what they needed to get the job done. And so they, they just kind of relaxed into this life of, oh, well, I guess this is how it is. And that's when Nehemiah stepped in and he begins to inspire them and he begins to empower them and he begins to draw them together and say, do you know what? God is with us. God is for us. We can get this job done. And they begin to see this progress. But where did we start this morning? What can we be sure of? Whenever the work goes down, opposition shows up. Whenever progress begins to happen, opposition comes a knocking. You know, the moment you start to do something that glorifies God, you can be sure that spiritual opposition is going to show up on your doorstep. You're going to find yourself in circumstances and situations that are going to knock you, that are going to test you, that are going to try you and challenge you, and, and the enemy's going to do everything he can in his power 
to stop you doing what it is that you're doing. Because if you're living out a life that is glorifying God, it annoys the enemy. It scares the enemy. And so he releases his demons out into the world. And they, he sends them with a mission to stop you in your tracks. You know, we don't often talk about the, the spiritual realm, do we? But, but it's so real. And actually, I, I hope this morning, if anything, that you just grasp hold of this truth that as we begin to step out in faith, spiritual opposition will come. Spiritual opposition will come. And, and let's see what it says here in, in Nehemiah chapter 4. We'll start reading at verse 1. And we can see what it is that they're, that they're facing, this opposition that comes against them. In verse 1 it says, Now when Sambalat heard that they were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged. And he jeered at the Jews. He began to kind of ridicule them and, and shout abuse at them. And he said, in the presence of his brothers and the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? What are these feeble Jews doing? Now that word feeble in the, in the Hebrew text, it actually means like a flower that's been chopped off. A flower that, that once was alive but now is dead. So when he's saying, what are these feeble Jews doing? He's saying that, look at them, they're, they're hopeless. They're worthless. They're lifeless. They've got absolutely no chance of rebuilding this wall. Why are they even bothering? And these are the words that they're shouting at the Jews as they're going about their work. And then he goes on. Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and the bird ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him. So, so he begins to join in this berating party. And Tobiah who was a, a beside him says, What are they building? If a fox goes up, it will break down their stone wall. So what do we see here? What do we see in this passage of scripture? <clears throat> when the work starts to go down, opposition shows up. When the work starts to go down, opposition starts to show up. And I, I think that that's true for, for some people here this morning, that actually you're beginning to, to step out in faith. You're beginning to realize that divine burden that God's put on your heart to, to step out and do something of significance in the name of Jesus. And, and opposition begins to show up. And it seems like you're making progress and it seems like you're taking leaps and bounds forward and, and you're almost comfortable in, in what you're doing, in the way that you're going. And then all of a sudden, something comes and it knocks you for six. Something gets in the way and it begins to, to try to pull you down. Words are thrown out. Actions uh, happen against you and, and you get knocked and, and you begin to doubt yourself and you begin to have fears and, and the insecurities begin to begin to come in. What I hope you'll understand is this, that as you begin to step out in faith, don't be surprised when opposition comes. We need to be ready. We need to be prepared. We need to stand firm knowing that we're doing the right thing. We're walking in the right path that, that God's called us to, but we need to be ready. We need to set our feet sure knowing that when opposition shows up, as it surely will, that we're ready to fight. 
Because advancement in the kingdom invites opposition. So what do we know about our enemy? What do we know about the devil? Well, one thing we know is that he doesn't bother those who aren't a threat. If you're not a threat to him, he'll leave you alone. He'll leave you well alone. But the moment that you begin to step out, the moment that you begin to honor God, the moment that you begin to do something that glorifies the, the Father in heaven, flags go up all over, he- all over hell. And the demons are released out into this world with your name on their lips. They're coming straight for you with one mission. And that mission is to stop you from doing the thing that God's calling you to do. And that might not be something, you know, significant or long-lasting at this moment in time. It might be something as simple as God's just called you to worship him. You know, maybe you've not been to church for a while and God's saying, you should go to church. And so... For whatever reason, you feel, okay, this is the Sunday I'm going to do it. And you, you get in your car and you begin to drive to church. And then all of a sudden, something happens. I don't know, someone cuts you up on the road. And rage just begins to fill your entire body. And you, you begin to swear and speak out things that, that you know that you shouldn't do. And, and that's your entire journey to church. Because you've not been for a while. And then the devil gets wind that that someone's turned back towards Jesus and and he's getting scared because he knows your potential when you're walking in line with God. So he sends something to harm you. He sends something to get in your way. He sends something to, to pull you away from where you need to be. And so you arrive to church fuming and and angry and in the worst possible place you could be to praise God. And it's a battle then, isn't it? Because you've got to get from here to here in five songs time. You've got 25 minutes to turn your life around before God's going to speak to you. That's nonsense. God can speak to you whenever. But it's hard, isn't it? When you're in one place and you need to be somewhere else, we've got to be ready. We've got to be ready to expect spiritual opposition. You know, if you don't want opposition in your life, if you don't want that, if that sounds, now I'm, that's not for me, I'm just, no thank you, sir. Well, let me tell you how to do it. It's dead easy. It's dead easy. You just coast along. You just coast along without doing anything of any real significance. You can come to church, that's okay. You can come to church, you can sing your songs, you can put your hands in the air if you want to. You can even pray the odd prayer, but, but don't you dare begin to step out in faith. Don't you dare begin to praise with any meaning. Don't you dare begin to pray with any authority because as soon as you begin to do that, then the enemy's going to come and knock in. He's going to come running. He's going to come and find you. If you want to stay in your lane, if you want to stay in your comfort zone, if you want to just cruise along, then that's fine. You'll be left well alone. Sounds great, doesn't it? But you know, we need to step out in faith. We need to pray bold prayers. We need to give generously. We need to serve like we're serving Jesus face to face. And that's when opposition's going to come. That's when opposition's going to come. God's calling some of you here this morning to step up. He's saying enough's enough. Let's take cruise control off and let's get back into 
manual gear and, and I want you to begin to serve. I want you be, to begin to tithe. I want you to begin to pray. I want you to begin to invite. I want you to begin to show God's love to the people around you and not just in the church but as the church in your community. God's put, calling you to step up this morning. To step up. What a difference you could make if you were walking in line with God, if you were taking those bold steps, praying those bold prayers, giving boldly, how God can use you. How God can use you. You know, that's why we're here. That's what we were created for. We weren't created to just show up on a Sunday and sing some songs and have a nice cup of tea and go home. You can go anywhere for that. Go to a coffee shop, go to a country club, whatever it is that you want to do, but if you want to be used for the purpose that God put you here, then you need to come expectant. When you come to church in the morning, come expectant that you're going to meet with God, that he's going to empower you, he's going to inspire you, he's going to challenge you, and he's going to shift you out of that comfort zone and into a busy lane. God's calling us to step up this morning. And as soon as you switch off that cruise control, as, you, as soon as you begin to, to move in, into God's lane and you begin to, to step out in faith, well, the moment you do that, you're going to face opposition. And it doesn't sound appealing, but it's so worth it. You're going to be surrounded by critics and, and haters, but let's look at Nehemiah. Let's look at, at what he does and, and how he responds. Because, you know, we see... That, that these guys are throwing out insults at the people. They're saying, look at them building the wall, these feeble Jews. They're not going to get anything done. They don't even know how to build. Why are they bothering to build this wall? Look how weak it is. Look how weak it is. And so these people try to tear them down. And, and how do you respond when, when critics come? How do you respond when, when the haters start to start to hate on you and they start to throw insults and, and the naysayers come and, and the doubters come and they start to hurl abuse and critique at you. How do you respond to that? Well, the best response is no response. The best response is no response. And I don't know about you, but, but that's not how I would naturally react. You know, if I'm doing something and someone starts to shout out at me, why are you even bothering Look at you. You don't know what you're doing. Look how weak that thing is that you're trying to build. Look how young you are. Look how, how uneducated you are. If someone started shouting that kind of stuff at me, well, it'd work something up inside me. I don't know about you, and I'd want to hurl something back at them. I don't know. I'd want to stand up for myself in some way, but the best response to critics is no response at all. And that's exactly what Nehemiah does. He, he hears this abuse being hurled at them left, right, and center, and he doesn't respond. You see, your response isn't going to convert your critics. You see, we can have people hurling all kinds of abuse at us, and, and we can try to respond to them and try to persuade them that actually I am good enough and and I am equipped enough, and, and it is going to be okay, but actually, your response is not going to convert their opinion because they've got their heels dug right in, and they're just there to insult you. 
The only thing that your response does is it validates them. It spurs them on to do it more. I don't know if you're on social media and, and you look at comments on, I don't know, big preachers, for example. You look at some of their comments. I mean, there's plenty of, wow, we love what you're doing. I'm so encouraged. I'm so inspired. But for some reason, critics like to follow people they don't like. If you don't like what they're doing, just don't follow them. I don't understand it. But they get on there and they see these posts. And they're like, oh, you're a heathen. You're, you've been sent by the devil. You're the antichrist. And they start to post these comments. And you know, if, if, if you were to respond to those comments, you're not going to change their minds. You're not going to change their opinions. You're just going to spur them on to write more. They're just going to come back with something else and, and something else. The best response is no response at all. But it's easier said than done, isn't it? It's easier said than done. When you step out in faith, opposition steps in. And that's why it's really important in any form of leadership, in any form of, of influence, in any form of ministry, don't let yourself be moved by praise or criticism. You know, we can't let praise go to our heads. You know, you might have done the most incredible job at making someone a cup of coffee this morning. And they said to you, wow, that's the best cup of filter coffee I have ever had in my life. You are amazing at that job. But don't let it go to your head. Don't start to think, ah, oh, I am the, I'm just going to start to tell everyone else what to do. I'm not going to make the coffee. And I'm just going to say, hey, you, this is how you make the coffee. I make the best coffee in the world. <laughs> Learn. Don't let the praise go to your head. And don't let criticism get into your heart. <clears throat> you know, people might, well, that was the worst coffee I've ever had. It's vile. It tastes burnt. What are you doing? Well, at that moment, you might want to quit. You might want to quit the team. But don't quit. We need you. We need you to keep making coffee. Keep doing what it is that you're doing. Whatever it is, however it is that you're serving, don't let praise go to your head and don't let criticism worm its way into your heart. You know, we can't be moved by what people think. We just need to be moved by what God thinks. And he says, you are doing a great job. He looks down and he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. And so you see, for our man Nehemiah, he's grounded himself on, on such firm foundations, hasn't he? As we talked about a couple of weeks ago, he spent four months in prayer and petition to God. He was seeking God for four whole months to, to cement this burden within his heart, within his spirit, to know that he knows that he knows that this is the call that God is asking him to do. So he's got this, this firm foundation. You know, he's got himself in tune with God. He's got an affirmation of his call. He's got the cementing of this burden within his spirit. So he knows that he's doing the right thing. So when the criticism comes and when the abuse begins to get hurled at him, when opposition rears its ugly head, he knows that he doesn't need to engage. He knows that he doesn't need to respond. He knows that he doesn't need to go back to them with any kind of argument. In fact, he knows that the best thing that he can do is to keep his eyes fixed on God. To keep his eyes 
fixed on God because that's the only affirmation that he needs. So once again, we see Nehemiah coming to God in prayer. Abuse is being hurled at him and instead of responding, he goes straight to God. Look at this in verse 4. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. And then look how he prays. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Don't cover their guilt and don't let their sin be blotted out from your sight for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. Now I'm not telling you that's how you should pray when abuse starts to come your way but that's how he chose to pray. That's how he chose to pray. You know the principle of turning the other cheek hadn't yet been written so we'll We'll show him some grace. Wow, what a, what a prayer. You know, he's, he's like, God, these guys are throwing abuse at me. You give them what for? You show up in this place. You knock them down a peg or two. Wow. He's asking God to banish them for hell for insulting them at their work. I mean, these are strong words that he's saying. And then in verse 6, he says, So we built the wall. The abuse came. The haters started throwing their hate at us. They started to jeer at us. And so he prayed to God and then he goes on, we built the wall. And all the wall was joined together to half its height for the people had a mind to work. What did Nehemiah do when he began to face opposition? He prayed to God and then he got straight back to work. He prayed to God and he got straight back to work. You see, when you seek God, instead of, instead of affirming the, the abusers, then he'll help you on your way. He'll help you to carry on doing what it is that he's called you to do. And the wall continued to go up. He prayed to God and he got back to work and the, the wall continued to go up. Why? Because they began to have a will and a heart to work. Even though they were faced with all this opposition, even though they were being ridiculed and, and mocked and abuse was being hurled at them, Nehemiah prayed over the situation and then encouraged them to get stuck back in and, and something changed within their hearts, something began to, to soften that natural reaction of, oh, these guys are, are, are hurting us, they're throwing out some hateful words and it, it was no doubt churning something up within their spirits. But Nehemiah prayed over the situation and then it says that they had a heart to work and things began to change and things began to come together. They weren't allowing themselves to be lowered down to fight those who were throwing out these petty insults at them because they had a higher calling. They had a higher calling on their lives from God to get the job done. So instead of getting caught up in in a situation where you were just back and forth, arguing with them, trying to persuade them that actually what they're saying is wrong, that, that actually he just prayed out to God. He prayed out to God. What I love about Nehemiah is that you, you see over and over again throughout this, this book that he's spiritual and then he's practical. He's spiritual and he's practical. He seeks God for, for four months and then he begins to make a plan and to <clears throat> to strategize and to, to think about the things that he's going to need to get the job done. And, and in this situation, he, he just prays to God, knowing that, that that's the only thing that's going to help him get through in this situation. So he seeks God, and then he gets back 
to work. You know, he would pray as if everything depended on God. But then he would get back to work and he, was, he would work as if everything depended on him. He'd pray as if everything depended on God and then he would work as if it depended on him. So I encourage you this morning, when opposition comes, when you're faced with, with any kind of abuse or criticism or, or spiritual knocks left, right and center, whatever it is that, that's trying to take you off course, cry out to God. Pray to him, ask him to show up in the situation and then get back to work. You know, let's show up to work. Let's show up to what God's called us to do and let's ask him to guide us. Let's roll up our sleeves and get ready to to get stuck in and let's ask God to give us direction. You know, grab hold of your shovel or whatever tool it is that you need and ask God to fill you with the power to complete what it is that he's put on your heart to do. And so what do we see in verse 10? In the middle of all this criticism, the people of of Judah, they said this. These are Nehemiah's people, the guys that he's been encouraging and, and inspiring. And they said, the strength of those who bear the burden is falling. There's too much rubble by ourselves. We'll not be able to rebuild the wall. You see, they're hearing this abuse that's coming at them, and it's beginning to, to pull them down. This is the natural response when, when criticism comes, when, when people start to point out your flaws and your failures, and they're like, there's too much rubble. We're never going to be able to do this on our own. Last week, we were seeing progress, but, but this week, we're just seeing discouragement. And it's exactly what happens when we begin to make progress in God's name. We begin to I don't know, take two steps forwards and then one step back because as you begin to make progress, opposition will come to knock you back. And then in verse 11, they, they go on and our enemies, sorry, and our enemies said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop their work. I mean, this is a determined enemy that they're facing. This opposition means business. They won't even know it before we're right on their tails And we're killing them. Verse 12. And at that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us ten times, you must return to us. So Nehemiah's friends, his people, his workers, they're beginning to have doubts. They're beginning to hear this abuse that's being hurled at them and their their spirits are beginning to, to, to fall down. Progress is, is slowing. Their enthusiasm for work is, is kind of weaning away. And actually, they're beginning to see things start to get a little bit challenging and a little bit difficult. They're beginning to doubt their own ability to get this job done. I don't know about you, but if you're in a situation and, and, and your own people start to doubt, the people who are around you, the people who are who are supposed to be on the same page with you, the people who are doing the work with you, if they begin to to doubt, if they begin to fear, if they begin to have have worries and concerns, well, that really messes with your heart, doesn't it? Because, you know, you can take all the abuse from external 
external jeerers and, and haters, and they can throw all kinds of things at, at you. But, but when the people around you, when your stronghold, when your, your, I don't know, your cornerstone of people begins to doubt, begins to fear, begins to worry, then, then that begins to let something in, doesn't it? Insecurities start to, start to creep in. Oh, well, if, if they're all doubting and it's just me that, that thinks this is okay, then, well, maybe I've misheard. Maybe I'm not the right man for the job. Maybe, maybe I, I was wrong in, in the first place. Maybe I need to just give up. It's so easy to get distracted, to get taken off course, but it's even easier to let doubt creep in when it's your inner circle, when it's your core set of people who are beginning to doubt. But take note of Nehemiah's action. Take note of what he did in that situation because they began to doubt, they began to fear, and they were his people. And so he could have felt that pain and that, and that worry and that, that fear, or maybe I wasn't the man from, for the job. Maybe I didn't hear right from God. Maybe it wasn't me that was supposed to be leading these people. But instead, he turns his eyes back to God and he prays over the situation. He keeps his eyes fixed on God. Don't let yourself be pulled to the left or to the right. No matter what it is that comes against you. No matter what it is that tries to stop you in your tracks. Keep your eyes firmly fixed on God. Because he's the one who put that burden on your soul. He put it there for a purpose. He called you for a purpose. He's the one who has the authority to appoint you. Don't listen to the words of man because he's the one. God's the one who will equip you and empower you to get the job done. And that's exactly what Nehemiah does. Verse 14, he's hearing the people, they're, they're discouraged, they're, they're giving up, they're feeling hopeless, they're feeling like they're never going to get this job done. And I looked, he says, and I looked. This is the, the leader in him surveying the the situation and the lay of the land. And I rose up and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Do not be afraid of them. Don't be scared of your enemies. Don't be scared of, of these people throwing out their, 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 their seeds of doubt. Ignore the evil voices. Ignore what they're saying. And why should you do that? He says, remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Remember the Lord and fight for your brothers, for your sons, for your daughters, for your wives, and for your homes. What does Nehemiah do when the opposition comes against him? He takes the focus off the opposition and he puts it right back on God. Don't let your eyes be pulled towards these doubters, these naysayers, these things or this circumstance and situation that is pulling you away from your purpose, fix your eyes back on God. And he's saying, this isn't our battle. This isn't our battle. The battle belongs to the Lord. We don't need to be worried. We don't need to be concerned because our God is with us. Our God is is for us. He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. We need to stand firm and believe that 
all things are possible with God. Greater is he that is within us than he that is in the world. My focus is not on what they're saying. My focus is on God. I remember the hand of my God. I remember when I prayed for four months, when I sought God, when I sought my Heavenly Father to make sure that the burden on my heart was real and was right. I remember when I was given favor from the king to go and get the job done. I remember when I had favor from the king to provide protection and provision for me to get this job done. I remember those things. I remember that I was blessed to go out. I remember that God gave me favor. I remember that when there was nothing, the walls started to go up. I remember that God provided it all. He made it possible. Remember your God, he says. The God who is great and awesome. Remember your God. I can almost imagine him, you know, surrounded by his people just again feeling low and, and downhearted and rejected and, and fearing that they're not going to get this job done. And he's, he's there and he's, he's trying to rally the troops again. And he's preaching this mini sermon to them and he's getting excited and, and passionate. Don't fear what they're saying. Remember God. Let me remind you of all the times when he's been faithful throughout this process. We didn't get to this point on our own. We got here because of God, because of God, because of God. Remember your God. And then maybe he went on to remind them about other things. You know, remember when our ancestors were in Egyptian bondage and, and God split the sea. Remember what happened in our past. Remember all the times when God came through and when the enemies were, were chasing them down. Remember who it was that closed the waters back up and destroyed the enemy. Remember when God led our people by fire at night. Remember when God fed our people by manna so they would survive in the wilderness. Remember the goodness and faithfulness of our God. Remember, remember. And if he's done it before, if he's done it before, he'll do it again. And if he's done it for me, he'll, he'll do it for you. That's why it's so great to hear testimonies of people's, uh, you know, goodness, of God's goodness in their lives. You know, I was reminded this week of the time shortly after we got married, we were living at a house in Blackpool and our fridge freezer broke. You know, it's just a practical thing, but when your fridge freezer broke, that's really rubbish because you've got to eat all your food really quickly. And then you've got to go and spend a fortune on getting a new one. So we were like, we got no money. I can't afford a fridge freezer. So we just prayed. We prayed to God. And then, I don't know, within a week, I think it was, we got a text from an unknown number saying, open the door. So we opened the door on this dark, I think it was even snowing, I don't know, night. And there's a brand new fridge freezer on our doorstep. A brand new fridge freezer on our doorstep. God is good, isn't he? God is faithful. I don't know why that one came to mind, but God is faithful. And if he can do it for me, he'll do it for you. Remember all the times when God has been good. Remember your God who is great and awesome. You know, when the voices come in and they begin to tell you that you're not good enough, remember 
the God who says you are. When the voices say you're not good enough, God says you are. And so Nehemiah encourages his people, remember God's goodness and begin to fight. Stand up for what it is that that you believe in. Stand up for the goodness of God. Stand up for the call that he's placed on our lives. Remember God and fight. You know, I encourage you this morning, remember God and fight. Fight for healing. Fight for breakthrough. Fight for restoration. Fight for intervention. Fight for freedom. Whatever it is that you're believing God for, remember his goodness and fight. Remember his goodness and fight. So what do you do when, when God puts something on your heart and, and he says, do you know what, there's, there's something going on here and I don't like it. And, and he begins to break your heart. What do you do when, when that divine burden gets put deep within your soul? Well, you sit down and cry. And then you kneel and you pray. And then you stand up to act, believing that God has empowered us. And then with God directing your steps, what do you do? Because you need to, you need to get organized and you need to start thinking about how you're going to do this work. Well, you seek God faithfully. You've already prayed for four months to get this divine burden, but you can never pray too much. So you seek God faithfully and then you define the vision clearly and then you make plans carefully and then you begin to inspire people passionately to join with you and get this job done. And then as you begin to step out in faith, as you begin to walk in the, in the calling of God on your lives and the enemy shows up to slow you down, what do you do? You remember the Lord your God and you fight with all that's within you for his calling, for his burden. Don't give up. Don't grow weary in, in doing what's good and doing what's right for at the proper time, you will reap a harvest. Keep on building one stone at a time. Keep on sowing one seed at a time. Don't get disheartened when you, you're sowing seeds and, I don't know, you're inviting people and they don't come. Keep inviting them. Or when you're praying for healing and healing doesn't come, keep praying. Keep on keeping on one moment of faithfulness after another, day after day, week after week. By the power of God, we will rebuild the wall. By the power of God, we will rebuild the wall. Let's pray. Lord God, we just thank you that you empower us and you equip us to, to get the job done. And I just thank you for the, the burdens that you've put on the hearts of people here this morning. And I pray that you'll begin to stir that burden up, that you'll begin to rekindle that fire within our hearts that it, it burns so fiercely within us that we, we can't contain it anymore and we need to step out in faith and we need to begin to act on the calling that you've put on our lives. Then God, I pray that you'll equip us and you'll empower us to get the job done and, and I just thank you for your goodness in my life and I thank you for all the times that you've come through for me when, when I needed you the most and I just pray that over the people here this morning, that as we begin to step out in faith and our position comes, 
as we begin to, to take steps of faith and, and the enemy begins to come against us, that you will remind us of all the times that you were faithful, that we will remember you, that we will remember your goodness in our lives and we will have the courage to fight.